Welcome to This Week in Location-Based Marketing with your hosts, Asif Khan and Abriana Lopez. Alrighty, we are back with your favorite podcast of the week. This is This Week in Location-Based Marketing, episode number 399. Yes, we are just one away from the big 400, uh, and we are recording live on January 22nd. Uh, it's a Tuesday morning, and Ariana, how are you? I'm good. I'm staying warm in this cold winter Atlanta weather. Yeah, you got it's, the uh, hat going. You're keeping the the, the warm. I know. Thing. I'm kind of like going with the Where's Waldo look. I just need a striped shirt. But um, yeah, it's super cold here. I mean, for Atlanta, like being in the 20s in the morning is really cold. And uh, so, at least it's sunny. At least it has been the past few days. I will take cold and sunny over, like you know, medium cold and, and rainy any day. But um, yeah, life is good and busy, just moving on tons of projects. And I know that you're doing the same thing, right? Yeah, yeah, it's been, I mean, equally, uh, you know, I think probably temperature wise, we've been about the same as, as what you just said. I mean, it's it's been relatively cold, not crazy cold. Uh, we finally got a bit of snow uh, over the weekend, so it's white outside right now, but it's supposed to be like raining and warm tomorrow and washing all that away, so probably be gone tomorrow. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's been busy. I've got uh, my new startup cranking, trying to finish the fundraising uh, around that. I've got trying to finish this book project that I started last summer and then put away for a while and trying to get that done. Um, and uh, yeah, and of, of course we're gearing up for Retail Loco uh, in April already, so there's lots of conversations going about that. And uh, and Loca Conference, which will be uh, February 6th, 7th uh, in Germany, so I'm uh, heading over uh, in a couple weeks for, for that as well. So lots going on. Um, yeah, we've got a, uh, a pretty good show for you this week, just uh, three industry news stories, three member news stories. No guests this week, but I do have a guest coming next week, uh, so you can get ready for that. Uh, we'll celebrate the 400th episode with guests. Yes. That? Um, so that's fun. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, uh, all good. Can't complain. Yeah. Well, let's kick it off. Yeah. So uh, you, as usual, will, will kick off our industry news section with a pretty cool story. Yeah. So this is um, a story that comes from Cody, which... I didn't, you don't really know the name Cody, but actually you probably do because um, they are the company that owns Clairol and CoverGirl and Max Factor and OPI and Rimmel and Sally Hansen and Wella. And Wella is the hair color kind of, um, you know, I guess like industry leader for hair color. A lot of salons use Wella. And now for Wella, they have launched this new um, smart mirror, which is really cool. So when I first read the headlines, my thought was like, hey, I really hope this is not a B2C play. And the further I read, the more I sort of liked what they're doing. So on a B2B play here, with all of their salons and their salon clients that use their Wella products, they're now offering this um, smart mirror that uses AR to virtually test hair shades. Um, so you can kind of get an idea of like what your hair color could or would look like if you went this path. Um, so like I have this obsession with I really, really, one day I'm going to do it. I want to dye my hair like that black blue color. It's like blue jean black. It's like really dark. Um, it's kind of goth, but I just think it'd be so fun. But I like want to see what it would look like on me. And if I went to one of these salons that had this smart mirror, I could just, you know, totally check it out and be like, yes, I dig it. I'm definitely doing it now. 
Um, so you can kind of get like inspiration, you can view what's trending. And what's also really cool is they've incorporated facial recognition into it. So let's say I frequent the same salon. Now I can kind of see like what I've done in the past and, and kind of like keep record of that. So if I want to keep doing the same thing, I can see, you know, hey, this is what I want to continue to do. Um, so you can kind of see what the services have been in the past. So they've also launched a whole bunch of other like AR, VR, ARs, AI stuff for um, different, you know, different brands that they carry. So um, Clairol and Snap have a partnership. You know, they did a VR for a perfume line. I'm not really sure how that one works, but um you know, there's just like a lot of cool features that they've thought of. So the mirror also has like this 360 degree video capture. So you can take that video and like see the finished product and then you can share it via social media. So I think that's pretty cool in terms of, you know, creating content and being able to push that out. Um, and then clients can access this platform as well. So I'm assuming there's like an app that can connect with this um, where they can connect with their stylist, get product recommendations, get some personalized tips and tricks about, you know, I guess hairstyles or whatever it may be. Um, and then they're using it to train employees, which I think is also really cool. So the partnership that they did this with is with Care OS. Um, so they're expressing it through a mirror, but the idea is longer term to be able to bring this to consumers um, via mobile devices, right, or tablets. So I think that with that long-term vision, I think this really makes sense in terms of a smart mirror. Um, I think it makes sense how they're going about doing this more of a B2B play. Um, and then salons, obviously, that can't afford it, they'll be able to use, like, the mobile phone app um, instead to, you know, interact with clients that way versus having to have the mirror there as well. So I think this is really cool. I like that they have an objective. I like that I think it does provide value. Um, and I, you know, and I think that at the end of the day is about driving consumers to use more of their products. And, you know, I think the more ideas and ideation that you have tied to products, the more you're going to sell. So I think it's a smart move. Yeah, I'm really excited about this too. I think it's, um, you know, obviously I, I, I'm not going in, uh, changing my hair color, um, you know, um, but uh, I see a lot of potential for this. And as you say, I, I love that it's it's the B2B play here and not trying to sell consumers on, you know, you got to go buy, a, buy a, uh, you know, an augmented reality mirror for your home and all that kind of stuff, because that's just not that practical, right? Um, but in a salon experience where you can go in and they sell the Wella products there and you can sit down and you can kind of visualize and see and experiment different you know, color options for your hair and shades and what that might look like on you. I think that makes a lot of sense, right? And, you know, mm -hmm. we've seen some of these things in um, department store cosmetics, you know, around makeup. Uh, in the past, I think there was this, this company we've, we covered uh, about a year ago called UCAM uh, that does that um, kind of stuff, uh, you know, with L'Oreal and, and other kind of cosmetics uh, um, components. But uh, you know, I think doing this around hair color and in, in, in the salon environment, I think makes a ton of sense. And the part that I, I think is, is, is really smart uh, is the social media integration piece, what you talked about with the 360 uh, video capture piece, and then being able to kind of have people share that on social media, not just to create content, but, you know, also to get feedback, right? Like you could kind of quickly send this out to your, you know, your group of girlfriends or whatever, I'm assuming, and say, hey, you know, what do you think of this? You know, should I, should I do it? Should I go for it? Um, right? And yeah, because you know that women don't really, like, at the end of the day, it's not necessarily what men think about us. It's more about what our girlfriends think about us. 
Right, right. <laughs> Which is so backwards, but, you know, because <laughs> my husband's always going to say, it looks great, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Like, okay, right? let me ask someone who I really care. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think from that perspective, I, 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 I really like that capability. So, yeah, it does, you know, the, the content creation is good. Uh, but the, you know, being able to get sort of instant feedback from your network and maybe even if, if they can build in a quick thumbs up, thumbs down kind of, uh, voting component yeah, on, on, the social, yeah, on the social media sharing, I think would be really cool. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think this is great. I think this is how these technologies, you know, become part of everyday life, you know, as, as you experience them in the salon and you experience them in the, in the, uh, you know, sort of uh, makeup and cosmetics, the uh, sections of department stores and so on, eventually, you know, this becomes, you know, more consumer oriented technology, right? Um, but I think it has to start in this kind of B2B context, you know, services context. So um, yeah, I like it. Good on Cody. Very cool. Awesome. Sort of uh, shifting to our second story now and, and sort of sticking with the, uh, the B2B theme uh, that we got going so far. Uh, is a new partnership uh, between uh, JDA Software and a company called In Context, uh, In Context being one word, Solutions. Uh, and this is all about bringing sort of VR uh, technology again into retail, uh, but more from a, uh, a store operations, business uh, ops, planning uh, side of things. So again, not consumer oriented, uh, more in the B2B uh, side of things. So. Basically, what they're doing is they're starting off with taking JDA's product, which is called the Category Knowledge Base, and linking that up with InContext Shopper MX VR platform. And this is about uh, enabling immersive collaboration, visualization, and testing of new category strategies. Um, and so the idea here is if you've ever worked in, in store planning or operations, uh, you know, how a store gets laid out, you know, how the products are uh, you know, put on shelves, what products where, you know, the planogramming exercise of, of that layout um, and being able to adjust those kinds of things, you know, analyzing things like foot traffic and dwell time and path analysis and how those things play into where certain products should be placed on shelves or yeah, at what end cap, you know, display and all those kinds of things uh, require a lot of data and a lot of research and analysis. And there are many, many tools out there uh, and have been, you know, for years in terms of uh, enabling these kinds of uh, business insights and decisions. And, and so what we're talking about here is a, is a relatively new way to do that, you know, through visualization, through VR technologies to kind of see what it would look like and, and to kind of think about, you know, what that interaction might, might be for the consumer uh, and kind of play out those strategies um, in terms of, you know, agile design capabilities and then analytics. Uh, around that. So, you know, I, I think this is, uh, you know, definitely a step in the right direction. I think that, um, you know, these technologies have been around for a while. They're not new. Um, but applying them to this kind of uh, analytics and decision making, I think it makes a lot of sense. We actually had uh, the CTO of uh, In Context, a guy named Tracy uh, Weedmayer, uh, on a panel back in uh, Retail Loco, I think two years ago in Atlanta. Uh, came and participated there. Uh, you might remember Aubriana. Um, uh, it was, I think, it was a panel that we did with the uh, VRAR uh, Association. Um, and so, you, you know, I, 
from my perspective at the LBMA and as far as the location data is concerned, you know, all of these things, whether it's AR, VR, you know, require proximity, require location components to them and understanding layouts and all of that. And then how you combine that with other data sets, uh, whether that's indoor positioning or Wi-Fi or beacons or all that other stuff in terms of the traffic flow and pattern piece. And then kind of connecting that up to the planogramming and the other pieces that, that and visualization that this enables. I think the more data, the better, as long as you have great tools to kind of make sense of it. And I think that's kind of the, the core of this story. Yeah, I think this is a really smart application of this type of technology. My question is for the, um, like the planogram and the people who lay that out. I know that, you know, a million years ago when I was working in retail, everything in the store had a place, but it was sent down from like corporate, you know, as a teenager, I worked at, um, I worked at Gap for a little while. I worked at White House Black Market for a little while. And it's like they sent out what the layout was going to be and you just followed it and everything went there. So, you know, if this is something that they're using at a corporate level, obviously, I think it makes sense. Um, then my question is from a business perspective, like what's the reach and what's the, what's the uh, ROI opportunity for something like this, um, you know, for an in context. But I think that the technology completely makes sense and there's obviously a need for it as well. So. Yeah, and you got to remember, like, you know, JDA and, and other platforms like them, uh, you know, these are very sophisticated ERP, you know, sort of planning operational software systems out there. So, you know, there's a lot more that, that they can do, um, you know, and this, this is one component of it. And, and one, one facet, yeah. You know, one powerful piece to it. So, um, but yeah, I, I think it's a good partnership. I look forward to seeing how it progresses. So, Cool. Um, well, the next and final story for our industry news is actually kind of more of an announcement. And Postmates has raised um, $100 million in funding. So this was led by uh, BlackRock, and then they also had Glenn Capital and Tiger, Tiger Global um, to, you know, kind of like lead this this uh, this fundraising here. But $100 million is is a pretty big investment, um, which brings the company's valuation, according to Forbes, to $1.85 billion. That is a lot of money. Um, and, you know, what's interesting is, like, you look at their competitor, DoorDash, and they got a million dollars. I mean, they got close to a billion dollars in funding last year, which is crazy. I mean, we're talking, like, just these massive numbers in these companies um, through their round that they did with SoftBank. So, you know, $100 million is obviously 10% of that, but it's still such a – it's a large, you know, a, certainly a large funding amount. Um, so they're rivaling, you know, with a handful of, of other companies. So you have DoorDash, you've got Uber Eats, Squares, Caviar, all these other companies that are sort of playing in the same space as them, doing things a little bit differently, and each have their own unique spin. But, um, you know, I think they're looking to hopefully do an IPO this year sometime. And, um, you know, what's interesting is that they said their gross profit has averaged more than 250% during the prior four years. And um, gross margins have dramatically grown by close to 50%, which is, you know, great numbers year over year. Obviously, this is becoming more of a way that people shop, you know, more of a way that people eat, you know, that people engage in the things that they need to do. And, um, you know, having that convenience is certainly something that is, is a um, it's, it's a new mindset, right? It's a new um, consumer, it's not. I don't think that it's a trend. I think it's just more of the way that consumers are starting to behave. Um, so it's actually becoming habitual now, which makes these. Uh, the, I think makes the future for these types of companies really bright. But um, of course, 
congratulations to Postmates, and you know we'll look forward to see what all they're they're going to be iterating with new technologies and the future here. Yeah, uh, you know it's uh, obviously it's it's a lot of money and it's it's a lot of fuel to kind of take this company forward. And as you said, it's a, it, there are a lot of players in this in this space, um, but it's a big big market and it's it's a big big world. And um, you know this last mile uh, component in terms of getting things to 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 people. Um, or getting people to places, um, you know, is is constantly in demand. It was funny. I was watching a news story up here in uh, in Toronto last night, just on the regular kind of uh, news on TV news last night, and they were talking about millennials, and they were saying how uh, millennials are are struggling financially because. You know they don't uh, like they basically are ordering food from Uber Eats and you know all these different you know services, um, you know five days a week or more, um, and it's costing them a lot of money. They're not realizing how much it's costing them, and but you know all of these types of, of services are all relying on 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 services like Postmates, right? And, you know, and this kind of last mile delivery component of it and uh so so there, there there's definitely massive opportunities it, it, it's there's no there seems to be no limit to growth in in this area and i remember way 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 back i'm probably like seven years ago maybe um i remember meeting bastian layman uh who's the uh co-founder and ceo of the company at a street fight conference that we were both speaking at um and and here he is today, you know, uh, raising a hundred million bucks on a one point five, one point eight five billion valuation. Um, you know, so you know, it, it's first of all, congratulations, Bastian. You know, it, great great work. Uh, you know, uh, seeing this to where it is today, um, and uh, you know, I, I see a lot of intersection between the work that we do and this, you know, this last mile component of it, and uh, whether it's that Postmates or DoorDash or whoever. Um, for, for me, this is, this market is by no means capped out yet, uh, in, in terms of opportunity. I, th I think there's still a lot of room for growth. There's still a lot of new products that are going to require delivery, uh, and, uh, that we don't even know about yet. Um, I mean, I think about my new business too, like, you know, around cannabis data, you know, all that stuff has to get delivered. Um, you know, in, in a lot of cases, because especially like here in Ontario, like you, today up until April, the only place you can buy that is online from the government right it's all got to get shipped out so um so there's massive opportunities i think for for on-demand services like this so good on them very cool yeah that's our three industry news stories for this week uh we'll shift over now to uh talk about a little bit about what the members have been doing and uh as usual i'll kick off this section with a story about our friends at SafeGraph. Now, um, this is a company that uh, we've been working with for a couple of years, um, and they've announced a, uh, a new product. It's in beta, um, and they announced this last week. It's called IP to Place. Um, and uh, basically, it's about mapping out places and linking them to IP address ranges uh, for those places. Um, and so, essentially, think about you know a database that has you know locations of retail stores or restaurants or what have you um, and and the physical addresses that match those and then kind of uh, building a database of, of the IP addresses that are linked to the access uh, points uh, Wi-Fi routers and such uh, in those in those locations like a Starbucks let's say 
uh, and then building a database for that. And the purpose of this, um, it would be to look at, you know, one, one way to kind of think about attribution um, in terms of, you know, did that person who got that ad actually show up or come at least nearby uh, this particular place? Uh, by looking at uh, did their mobile device interact at all uh, or bump in, into that, uh, that access point. Um, and that's essentially what we're talking about here. Um, so, you know, I, I, I would say that uh, there's definitely a demand for services like this in our industry. Uh, the need for uh, looking at IP information is paramount and, and one of the key things. Nobody knows that better than you, Abriana, um, at Digital Element over there. And... Um, you know, I, I uh, you, you know, I, I, first of all, I mean, I think we need, we need more of this kind of stuff. Uh, number one, we need to put more of a, uh, shine more of a light on the opportunities around IP location data in general as an industry. I don't think we do enough in that area. Um, whether it's, you know, these guys, you know, you, New Star, you know, whoever uh, is doing this kind of stuff out there, there there's, uh, I think there, there needs to be more uh, understanding of what can be done with IP uh, location data uh, and, um, you know, and how people can kind of benefit and, and take advantage of that. And uh, so, you know, good on these guys uh, on SafeGraph for kind of putting out a, a solution in, in this space. Um, and, um you know, to do it in a in a way that is um, also um, you know sort of privacy compliant and not you know kind of sharing individual information or things like that, which we we've talked a lot about on this show in the last year. So, um, if you get a chance, check it out. Um, Abriana, I'll turn it over to you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course, I'm going to have a biased opinion on this because this is the world that I live in and operate, and I will I definitely share. The opinion that I think you know IP intelligence and um, anything tied to IP is highly overlooked and and undervalued in this industry because for so long we've been focused on beacon level and GPS level data and hyper focused and granular that we forget that um, coverage is important as well right and being able to make sure you can reach everybody anywhere anonymously is kind of laying the groundwork for what you want to do at a granular level and that one-to-one -one connection. Um, so I think that's super important. And then, uh, you know, like you said, this is, you know, digital element. We've been in the IP space. I, mean, I think we kind of created the IP space, like in terms of the intelligence around it 20 years ago. So we've been doing this for a long time. And, um, you know, we have a, a similar product that we launched about six or seven months ago with our POI database as well. So, um, you know, I think it makes sense. I think that maybe people are coming to SafeGraph for certain services and, um, you know, this maybe is a natural extension where they need to get access to those, whatever those one and a half million places that they've mapped are. Um, you know, we have a lot of clients that come to us for location intelligence and they will just have it as a natural extension. They'll add, you know, add in other features or um, other services with what they're doing. So I think this, um, in terms of like the way that people are doing attribution, this has kind of been my my story and my speech for a long time is that there's it's a multi-layered approach just like any location. So, you know, if you want to do attribution only for people who have your app or have an SDK embedded in an app that can actually show that attribution when that GPS signal hits and, you know, you feel confident with that, you know, it's hard to do that. But having kind of this multi-layered approach where you can realize, hey, I can, you know, I can base this attribution not only on GPS, but also on IP connection and things of that nature. 
um, you know, the doors just kind of open and I think that you open yourself up to, um, the ability to really connect with consumers, give them the right messaging at the right time, um, really power that attribution and have a better understanding about that. So I think this is an important, uh, direction and I'm glad to see that other people are realizing the, the importance and the weight that this can carry as well. Yeah. And I think that's the key, right? It, it's, it's recognizing the, the opportunity, uh, you know, that's available when you, when you can tap into this kind of data. And I think, as, as I said, I, I think there's, we need to put more of a focus on, on the possibilities here. So, you know, I love the work you guys are doing. I like that they're doing this. I like that others are, are trying as well, um, because I think overall as an industry, we, we need to be doing a lot more around just IP data in general. Um, you know, and 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 the last thing is is to say that you know I think that the to do all of this kind of stuff in an anonymous you know uh, fashion, uh, in light of all of the discussion we've had lately around the privacy discussion, I think is is the key, right? And and so you don't want to be, I mean, you want to be using this data to build audience segments. You want to be using this data to to kind of understand you know and build patterns and and. Uh, and understand what that might mean for your retail business or your restaurant chain or your whatever. Um, but to go a step further in terms of individual targeting and things like that, you know, is where you need to sort of find the balance and find, you know, are they actually a customer? Do they actually have my app? Do they want that interaction? You know, as opposed to we're just going to do it. <laughs> so, right. So yeah. uh, anyhow, but uh, check it out. SafeGraph IP to place. Um, and uh, yeah. 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 So kind of continuing with the whole privacy, um, you know, speculations and implications that we have been consistently talking about on the show. We'll move over to Amazon and what's going on with them in Germany. And to me, this is just like absolutely overboard, uh, in my opinion. But it's German, Aubriana. They're always. I overboard. know. It's just this is like okay, taking it to a whole nother level. So Germany now has um, a, a a German law. Apparently, is that a transaction must provide information on price and characteristics of. Um, delivery details. So now Amazon Dash buttons are kind of under attack here because, you know, you've got this button that just orders things and apparently that is not in keeping with what this German law says. So um, now they're saying that this breaks the consumer protection legislation because it's not giving consumers enough information about the product or the price and things of that nature. So it's a regional consumer protection watchdog organization that's bringing this case against Amazon. Um, and obviously they're just arguing that the dash buttons uh, don't let customers know what they're paying. Well, guess what? If I as a customer decide I'm going to pay for whatever laundry detergent I want, however much I want, by putting that dash button in my home, then to me that's a contract that I've accepted, okay? I've accepted that those prices may change. And maybe Amazon just needs to say, like, it'll be within a certain percentage or something like that, you know, to squash this. But I think this is, like, really, really... Um, overboard and just like way too much. I think it's ridiculous. Um, but you know, this is obviously very important to Amazon because Germany is Amazon's um, largest market behind the U.S. And so they're going to fight the court's decision. They can't do it via an appeal because the court wouldn't allow it. But um, they're going to, I guess, go whatever legal means that they can um, to try and kind of fight this. So again, I think that if you're listening and you're in Germany, share with us what you think about this. I mean, 
do you have an Amazon Dash button? What do you think? Like, should you just be able to order your coffee whenever it runs out? Or do you want the government to legislate and say, like, you can't use Amazon Dash buttons because it doesn't clearly show you a price right then and there? I mean, I feel like you place orders all the time for things that you don't know exactly how much they're going to cost, right? Like, you call... You call and place a uh, to-go order for food, and you don't necessarily see a visual menu. You just call the Chinese place, and you know what you want, and you order your, you know, chow mein feng or whatever it is that you like, and yeah. you're not sure what the latest and greatest prices are, but you still go and you pay whatever it is that they tell you, and you just kind of assume that it's going to be within reason. And I think it's kind of the same situation here. There's some type of an engagement. Whenever you got that dash button or you received that and you use that, you sort of have this uh, understanding or contract with Amazon that you're going to pay whatever the going rate is. I don't know. What do you think about this? I'm with you. I I, I think this is ridiculous. I think that um, you know, if, if from a consumer protections perspective, I I don't think this makes any sense to me. I mean, if I've gone out of my way as a consumer and I've built a relationship with with this company and I've consented to to that by you know I've I've taken the time and made the investment to have this button you know in my house like i bought this thing acquired this thing i put it in my house and i've linked it to my amazon account for the per sole purpose of being able to place orders of when i'm running out of whatever the product is i i don't see how you know that i mean that contravenes anything this is about like a consumer who's already consented who's got this thing installed in their house and you know it is you know trying to make their lives a little bit more convenient and, and easier right this is you know and so okay yes I, I can I can buy the point that it doesn't tell me right then and there what they the latest price is but you know uh, I, I guess as long as it's within a certain range to your point I mean I, I can't see there being an issue here and maybe that's the solution um, or maybe that you know, like when you when you f place the first order on the thing or whatever, there's some kind of price protection that's built into it. It, it like it's it, you know it, it'll stay that way for the next three years or whatever it is. I don't know, um, but I, I think it's kind of crazy um, to be honest with you. I mean, I'd love to hear what Karsten or somebody over there has to say about this. Um, maybe I'll poke around when I'm over there for Loka conference in a couple of weeks and see who's got, uh, you know, I'll just ask from stage how many people have dash buttons and, and uh, you know, are, are up in arms about this because it, it's, uh, it, it doesn't, it doesn't yeah. make any sense to me. I uh, mean, you're like, okay, wait, I got the dash button to make my life easier. And now you're going to come in and say, oh, well, we're protecting you. Yeah. And in order to protect you, we're going to make your life more complicated. So now you have to log into your Amazon account and actually physically place the order for the laundry detergent and you know whatnot, because yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And it's not even just dash buttons, right? I mean, like there's broader implications here. That as an industry, from a uh, IoT perspective and from a um, you know sort of connected uh, machine to machine point of view, um, you, you know, I, I think there's there's a lot of challenges here. As you know, uh, if this is true, and and, and they're going to hold to this kind of thing, like I mean, for example, brother. You know the printer company uh you know they've got new printers out there that you know basically do the same thing where the printer you know recognizes it's running out of ink and places an order for an ink replacement so you don't have to go and wait till it runs out and then like oh crap like you know my my daughter's got you know like a big assignment due tomorrow and now i got to go to the store and go buy a cartridge from you know uh you know staples or wherever 
you know, Office Depot or like whatever, like, you know what I mean? Like it, it's okay. It, wait, let's dumb down this implication even more. Like forget about technology. Let's talk about water usage, right? I'm assuming that Germans also pay for their water usage. I'm not sure if that's just provided for free or not, but let's say that they pay for their water usage. Every time they fill up a cup of water, is it telling them how much they're paying for that cup of water? No, they just assume that they're going to have to pay for whatever water usage that they have, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, are you going to wash a load of laundry? I don't know. This laundry is going to cost you $2.23 today because of you know the water usage that you have or whatever it may be. Like Seriously, that, they're not doing that at that scale. So how can they – they're just trying to attack somebody who's got deep pockets, I think, and say like, hey, don't do this. It's like they're looking for anything. This is really hungry to me. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. It's it's yes. Germany. Things are different. <laughs> <laughs> All right, our final story now. Uh, coming back across the pond here, talking about Walgreens uh, has teamed up in a very big strategic alliance uh, partnership with Microsoft, um, and they haven't said a ton about this in terms of you know the financial terms or anything like that. But this is all about retail innovation and and technology. Uh, they describe the partnership as uh, developing new healthcare delivery models um, for the future of healthcare. And um, so they basically said that um, they're going to combine Microsoft Azure's um, system, their their cloud AI platform, um, and um, and and start to deploy solutions across the 8,000 U.S. Uh, stores uh, and and around the world. So this is is not just Walgreens local, but the Boots, the full Boots Alliance, and every part of it. So they're starting with an initial rollout, 12 pilot stores, a digital health corners that will be there that are aimed at merchandising and selling healthcare related hardware and devices. Um, and so, you know, for, for me, this, this speaks to a bigger trend in the, in the category, in the industry of, uh, you know, sort of not just selling consumables or product, uh, but you know, true healthcare, right. And, you know, we saw Aetna, uh, last year get uh, acquired by CVS. Um, and so you're seeing kind of more and more move into this holistic healthcare provisioning um, in terms of the products that people need, the pharmaceuticals that people need, but also the, the care and the insurance and you know all the other aspects that go with that. And I think, you know, if you think about it, right, uh, from a technology and a data perspective, um, there's a lot of opportunity to um, to pull information in terms of patient healthcare records, you know, under obviously HIPAA compliance rules and other things, um, and, uh, you know, start to build, you know, like we've just talked about in terms of uh, hyper-local targeting and audience segmentation and profiling in traditional retail. Think about that now in terms of big big data and big health, right? Um, and, and what that means and the role that a company like Microsoft can play in, in a data mining uh, perspective and, and with cloud technology like Azure. Um, but basically then rolling that down to a retail execution level, right? In terms of, you know, the right displays, you know, kind of in a lot of ways, what we just talked about earlier with in context and JDA in terms of how that affects planogramming, how that affects, you know, who's coming into the store, you know, what we're uh, providing to them, uh, but doing that in a data informed uh, fashion, right? And I think that's for me kind of the, the key to this is is the combination of the data uh, crunching platform that you know you would get in terms of Microsoft coming to the table here and the insights that you can drive from that and what that means in terms of retail execution. 
Yeah, you know what I like about this is when you think about Microsoft, obviously you think about Bill Gates and his, you know, work as a philanthropist and his involvement and in obviously kind of, um, you know, help care as a broad and global perspective, even, um, you know, from like a grassroots level things that we take for granted here in the U.S. and Canada, right? But um, so what I hope that this partnership does is actually um, take the Walgreens perspective and make it a little bit more about the consumer perspective versus just the business aspects of it. And obviously here um, recently, you know, Walgreens also bought up Rite Aid. So they have all these other stores that are rolling up to them. And Rite Aid uh, was also on the, um, what was that loyalty program that they had for a little while that just never really went anywhere and they've done away with it now. Um, yeah, it was like with Macy's and a couple of other um groups as well but anyway oh, the so they had program yeah it was a shopping program but it was called something it was a loyalty program okay. anyways so they they tried you know their hand at it for a while but the rewards were like basically not really great you put your you know your phone number in every time that you buy something and i never really saw any rewards from that um so you know i'm hoping that all of this can kind of realign with putting the focus back on the consumers not only for a better business perspective from Walgreens, but also for a better consumer experience and maybe figuring out how to reinvest in that loyalty program and make something that actually works. I don't know what all, obviously we don't know a ton of details, but those would be kind of the two things that I hope come out of this would be, um, you know, more consumer focus and obviously like maybe going back to a loyalty program that actually works and provides rewards. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and the one thing I will say from a Walgreens perspective, you know, we we've done a lot of stuff with Walgreens over over the years, right? And um, you, you know, they from a retail uh, technology perspective, from a mobile uh, perspective in particular, um, I think they do a lot of work, uh, a lot of great work in terms of mobile innovation around their loyalty program. You know, the integration with Beacon, surfacing uh, reminders when people come in, in terms of hey, you know, we see you're here, would you like to get your prescription refilled? All those kinds of things. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we had um, Kate uh, from Walgreens come down to Retail Local in Atlanta last year uh, and share about, you know, what the, some of the stuff that they're doing. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big, big fan of, of them as a, you know, sort of technology uh, adopter and, you know, uh, first mover in a lot of cases. Uh, in a lot of ways, you know, kind of like Kroger, right? Uh, you know, on the other side, like from a grocery perspective, right? And and I think, you know, both of those companies are really, really good at kind of seeing emerging technologies and finding ways to at least test pilot, you know, uh, with them and, and kind of figure out ways to kind of, you know, how, how can we leverage this to, to create better consumer experiences? So, I'm yep. sure the Microsoft piece will uh, will play into that uh, and uh, and and kind of sh show fruits of uh, of the engagement in, in short order. So, yeah, for sure. No, I think that Walgreens does a good job. I'm just looking forward to whenever they kind of they've got this new like whole scoop that they've just had with Rite Aid, and so it's like, how do they bring them into yeah, that's the challenge, you know, the right? same vision that they've had for so long, right? Yeah. Um, because it's two totally different experiences. When I go into Walgreens and when I go into Rite Aid, it's very different experiences. Um, and so it would be nice to have those align, I think, with their, their vision as well. So be good. I agree with but, yeah. that. So that's our show for this week. You've been listening to episode number 399. 
we'll be back next week, of course, with our 400th show. Uh, if you have ideas for stories, if you have feedback, criticism, uh, any of that, uh, you know, we're, we're happy to hear it and take it. Uh, and uh, yeah, just thank you for listening and watching. If you would like to reach out to us, uh, the contact information uh, is at the end of the show here on the screen. And uh, again, we'll, we'll see you next week. Have a great week, everyone. Bye.